Welcome. My name is Allie Stoneberg. I am part of our ESPN PR team. And as you heard, we've got Mel Kuyper Jr. on the line. We are going to get started a bit early to get through as many questions as possible. A few reminders before we get started. Many of you have this, so thank you in advance. If not, please be sure your full name and your media outlet are visible for us to see. And if you have a question for Mel, I ask that you use the raise hand feature. And then when it is your turn, respectfully, I'll ask that you please skip any personal greetings and begin right away with your question. And that'll just help us get to as many people as possible. So let us get started here. We're gonna to go to Eric Wilson. And Eric, if you wouldn't mind um, stating your outlet and then Larry Meyer with chicagobears.com. Sure, thank you very much. Uh, Eric Wilson, WKII. Uh, Mel, thank you. Just wanted to ask you, you know, we've seen a lot of talk about Justin Fields going up and down within the first 12 picks of this draft. Um, as of today, where do you honestly, legitimately see him winding up? Eric, that's the million-dollar question. I love Justin Field. I think he's the second-best quarterback in this draft. I could see him going to Denver at 9. I could see somebody trading up to 10 to get him or trading up to 7 ahead of Denver to get him or force Denver to go from 9 to 7 with Detroit to get him. So I think he's going to be, I would say, people say he's falling. I think he's going to be red hot. I think he's going to be, uh, yeah, even if he's the fifth quarterback taken, so what? The quarterbacks that have dropped over the years have done pretty well. And, uh, you know, if it's New England, if it's Denver, if it's Washington, Washington, Chicago, you know, whoever it is. And that depends upon how far those teams want to drop. If you're Detroit, how far down are you okay dropping to? But I, we're, we're even at Dallas at 10. But I think there's going to be activity to go up and get Justin Fields. Thanks, Eric. We'll go to Larry next and then Michael Gelkin with the Dallas Morning News. And Larry, if you're trying to speak, we can't hear you quite yet. I think you're muted. Maybe he stepped away. Michael, if you're available, we'll go to Michael Gelkin and then Jonas with the Baltimore Sun. No, there's been a lot of chatter connecting Kyle Pitts to the Cowboys in sports media. Uh, when I look at the Cowboys, I see a team that runs a lot of 11 personnel when they're loaded with their top three wide receivers. Their tight ends are, are very, very well, fairly well stocked too when they're in 12 personnel. And Kyle Pitts is the number two player on your board. And so for a Cowboys team sitting there at number 10, are we wasting our time as a collective sports community, spending as much time talking about Kyle Pitts and the Cowboys as we are, do you feel? Or is he, are they an actual viable landing spot for him? I would say, yes, you are wasting time. <laughs> I do. I really believe that. I, I can't see them going up to get Kyle Pitts uh, from where they're picking at 10. It just doesn't make sense to me. This is a team that needs so much help on the defensive side of the ball. D-line, you think about you know, linebacker, you think about corner. You know, you know, that's their number one need, cornerback. Yeah, tight end's a luxury. Uh, they can't afford that luxury right now. So I would say at 10, you either – take the corner or the offensive lineman, say Rashawn Slater from Northwestern, or move down and still get the corner. Because one of those corners is going to be there at 15 if they move with New England. They drop down a little further than that, you'd probably maybe lose those guys. But there's another good corner, and Greg Newsom II from Northwestern. So yeah, it really depends upon what type of offers come their way, how far they want to drop. But I think Pitts, to me, is out of the question. I agree. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We'll go to Jonas next, and then Matt with NBC Sports Bay Area. And Jonas, if you can hear us, you are muted. Okay, we'll try to go back to him. Matt, if you're available, you're up, and then we'll go to Donald Hunt. Thank you very much. Hey, Mel, can you walk us through the process that you go through to determine at number three who you project the 49ers to pick versus the quarterback that you believe they should pick, and, and how does that all line up for you? Very difficult. That's the thing, because you always want to just rate players and not worry about where they're going to go. And you know, there's always that pressure to try to line everything up. And I always tell people, and Todd and I talk about this a lot, that's, we shouldn't have to worry. We never worry about that. Just rate the players as you see it. You're basically a 33rd, 34th team we are. So, And then the mock draft kind of 
complicates matters because then you have to go against some things that you like and don't like and go by what you're hearing. So I think the 49ers, I would look at Justin Fields. I think he's the second-best quarterback in the draft, but Mac Jones is the way it's going, it seems like. I would heard Mac Jones or Trey Lance early on, whether that's not true, whether just throwing that out there to the, the full people, who knows? There's a lot of that goes on this time of year. But I went with Mac Jones because that's what you're hearing. Now, I would go Justin Fields, but that's me. It's like in the Josh Allen draft. I would have taken Josh Allen number one, but he didn't go number one. He went, what's what, seventh? You know? So to me, you have to always realize that a mock draft is completely different than a ratings board and always keep that in the right perspective. All right, we'll go to Donald Hunt and then Jennifer with NBC Sports Bay Area. Okay. Mel, how you doing? Um, Donald, how you doing, man? Okay. Uh, Jimmy Robinson ran a 4-2 in the HBCU Combine last week. I'd like to get your thoughts on him and Brian Mills from Central along with David Moore from Grambling in terms of this. Yeah, I, of those guys, Moore to me is the high re, highly rated guy. I mean, I would say highly rated, of, you know, probably in that fourth to sixth round area. Uh, I love the explosion. I mean, I think the, the kid's got a chance to be a starter in this league. Uh, as far as the guards go, he's right there in the top ten, barely. But, uh, yeah, there's some pretty good ones. And some of these guys are projections inside from tackle down. So you have to always keep that in mind. It's not, these aren't just pure guards. I'm projecting some of these tackles inside. But he's right there. I think he's got a chance, like I say, to be a fourth to sixth rounder. Uh, you know, in terms of, of Mills, now this is a great cornerback year. And a wide receiver corner, you need, you need the corners to cover the receivers. They both have lined up perfectly in sync this year. Uh, Mills, to me, in a normal year, would have been a third or fourth rounder in a year this deep. Uh, even though he's got the, the length, he's got the cover skills, he probably goes in the fifth round area, maybe fourth. So it might drop him a round or two later than he normally would go because of the great depth at corner, but he's a nice player. I think he makes a team. He could compete for a starting job fairly early. So uh, I would say, you know, both those guys have, have starting potential, and I like them both. I think of, of that group more maybe goes a little higher, but they're both in the same general area. Okay. And what about Jimmy Robinson that ran a, a 4-2 in the 40, Mel? A lot of that's what you got to be careful. Yeah, the pro, that's the thing with uh, Donald, with pro all these, I'm getting all these reports and you get, you know, everybody's running great at pro days. And yeah, that's where you have to look at it and factor in that it's not the combine. And the combine is apples to apples. The pro days are all going to be positive. They're always going to be the opportunity for players to run a lot better than they normally would, which is great. Uh, but it also makes it more difficult to try to factor that in. So I think you have to always realize that, like, the, and I say this, that's why it's the most mysterious draft ever, is because not having a combine makes it very difficult to try to go and say, okay, this player did this, this player did that, but they did it at different surfaces, at different times. It was a home game for both as opposed to the combine. So that's why I say you just have to be really careful this year with pro day results. Okay. We'll go to Jennifer, and then we're going to go back to Larry with ChicagoBears.com. Hi, Mel. Knowing what you know about what Kyle Shanahan does on the offense, do you see Mac Jones or Justin Fields being a better fit, being physical attributes or mental fortitude on the line? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, people say, well, he wants to get the athlete. You know, think back to Mike Shanahan, having John Elway and having with Steve Young and all the different quarterbacks. that. But you think about Kyle with Kirk Cousins and Matt Schaub and Matt Ryan. So it really is hard to really pinpoint what they really wanted. I'm talking about Kyle and John Lynch with Mike Shanahan being impactful in this decision. So I would say if you obviously want to go with the dual threat, you take Trey, Justin Fields, Trey Lance. If you want the pocket guy uh, who's incredibly smart and can maneuver in the pocket extremely well, accurate to every level, uh, you know, and like I say, off the charts, uh, you know, intelligence, it would be Mac Jones. So that's why it was trending to Mac. Uh, I'd heard Lance early on. It was Mac Jones, Trey Lance, but it seemed like it was trending more to Mac Jones. So it's, it's because I think of what the, I think the smarts and the accuracy is why it would tip the scales to Mac Jones. Thank you. We'll go to Larry and then back to Jonas with the Baltimore Sun. Hey, Mel, I was wondering if you'd give your assessment of the two players you have the Bears taking in the first two rounds of the draft, and that's uh, Oklahoma State tackle Tevin Jenkins and Auburn receiver Anthony Schwartz. 
Yeah, lined up with the needs. You know, I understand quarterback, but you have Danny Dalton. Is it going to be a quarterback there? No, they'd have to be aggressive, and they were at Justin Fields' workout, and Matt Nagy evidently was. So you're talking about an opportunity to have to move up inside of that 10-7 spot to get them. Wide receiver and O-line. That's why Tevin Jenkins, to me, you can get the receiver like an Anthony Schwartz in the second round. You could also get a pretty good receiver maybe at that point, and De'Ami Brown from North Carolina. I had Brown going a little earlier, but maybe he's there. And there's a host. I have 14 receivers in the first two rounds. So if you go Tevin Jenkins, who's a really good right tackle, he's got that aggressiveness to blow you off the ball in the run game. He did a great job against some highly skilled pass uh, rushers at that right tackle spot. He could also maybe be a left tackle. So I think Tevin Jenkins is going to go in that 19 to 20, four area where Pittsburgh's picking at 24 would be I think as far as he drops uh, but I was if you know Anthony Schwartz runs in the four twos and he, he didn't ever have a high average per catch because of the quarterback play but when he was a freshman with Stidham he averaged 16 plus a catch so right around 16 yards a catch so he's going he can run reverses jet sweeps he can do all that he's got ability after the catch so anytime you run into four twos and you're over six feet tall you're going to be attractive and you come out of Auburn in the SEC you're going to be attractive in the second round thank you mm-hmm We'll go to Jonas and then Chris Thomason with the Pioneer Press. Hi, Mel. Thanks for doing this. Um, you know, we've seen teams like the L.A. Rams say that, you know, they're not really worried about 40 times. And we have, you know, this technology that, you know, with GPS that measures just how fast players are moving at all times on the field in college. I just wonder, you know, as you kind of look into your, your crystal ball, how you see, you know, college scouts and front office personnel just um, evaluating these these prospects athletically and, you know, what that means for certain you know, really, really treasure right now. Yeah, it's historic is what you have to go to, the historical-based evaluations, and you don't have that on some of the numbers you see. Uh, and that's why this year you don't have that ability with pro days. That's why I keep stressing that pro days are different than combine. And pro day results, I always joke that, you know, about what you could run. I, I can maybe crack five flat in the pro day. If I, you know, it depends how I'm running, what I'm running on, what the conditions are. You know, everybody should run a great pro, uh, time at a pro day. So you got to be really careful of that in this evaluation of players and not just jump to a conclusion that because a player ran great, uh, he's going to automatically go in a certain position in the draft. That's not the case. So, uh, you know, for the Rams, offensive line, linebacker, I mean, I, when I look at where they're picking, I mean, they could get a guy at that point uh, that would make sense. And that, that's, again, where you say, okay, who's the linebacker? I think when you look at a Pete Warner from Ohio State, uh, you would look at an Ernest Jones from South Carolina uh, would be another one. That's a really good player. Had a heck of a year for the Gamecocks. He can run to the football. He's got great range in terms of his tackling. Uh, he's not, Malcolm Kuntz from Buffalo was a very underrated player. Had a lot of sacks for the Bulls. Tested well. So I think there's going to be a linebacker there for the Rams uh, in that late second round. All right. And just a reminder here, we do have an hour. We actually got started a bit early. So welcome to those of you that are just joining us. If you have a question for Mel, please use the raise hand feature. And we ask respectfully that you would skip any personal greetings. That'll help us get to as many people as possible. So Chris Thomason, you are up and then we'll go to George Thomas with the Akron Beacon Journal. Mel, I'm wondering if you could assess kind of the job that uh, Vikings general manager Rick Spielman has done over the years in uh, drafting offensive linemen. Some people think it's been kind of uneven. And how important is it for the Vikings to land a starting caliber offensive lineman in this draft and maybe assess some options? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a you know like you say a mix. I mean, they had a ton of picks last year with Justin Jefferson. They hit the jackpot there. Like Jeff Gladney. We'll see how he develops in year two. Same that you mentioned Ezra Cleveland. Same thing with Dantzler. Wanham turned out to be a nice fourth. And on down the line, they were able to get some players. But I think when you look at this year, the needs, the way they set up for the Vikings, it kind of works with the draft pretty well uh, in terms of lining up properly. Some years it doesn't. Some years it does. Offensive line and pass rusher. And if you look at where they're picking. Christian Darasol from Virginia Tech, whether it be him, uh, whether it be a guy like Rashawn Slater at Northwestern, who probably will be gone by 14. Uh, Penny Sewell from Oregon will be gone. Do they try to trade up to get Sewell, trade up to get Slater, or just sit at 14 and wait for, say, Darasol? Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker from USC is a pure guard. They could certainly use help there. Pass rusher-wise, do you take a quitty pay from Michigan or a Jalen Phillips from Miami? So, you know, they could move down and look at Phillips, maybe move down and look at pay. So, whether it's an offensive lineman or a pass rusher, I think those are the two positions they'll look to address with that mid-first round pick. 
Although my question was, how do you feel about how Rick Spielman has done over the years in drafting offensive linemen specifically? Well, uh, you look at what they need. I mean, obviously it's not worked out perfectly uh, in terms of what they've been able to do to build that offensive line. Obviously, that you think about what this draft you know, brings, it's, a str- it's probably the third strongest position. It's not always strong. And that thing, that you can't always get the best. It has to align properly. And this year, the, the three strongest positions are wide receiver, cornerback, and offensive line. So if you need offensive line help, which they do, uh, this would be the year to try to get it. And it's in multiple positions, not one. Like I say, you hope Cleveland can continue to develop but uh you know again uh, you can always have mistakes made when the draft doesn't always work out to be that where the players coming out that year are up to the level they are other seasons so in this particular year this this mysterious year because of covid offensive line both tackle guard and center look really good we'll go to george thomas and then anthony with the clevelandbrowns.com hello sir i was just wondering if you could tell me um what you think the Cleveland Browns are going to do, and what are your thoughts on uh, them possibly looking at Rashad Bateman? Well, you know, linebackers an area. You know, I had Jeremiah Wusukoromoa or Jamin Davis from Kentucky, one of those two, uh, with Koromoa going a little earlier and Davis dropping down to Cleveland. I would have no problem with Rashad Bateman. I think you know, look at the four three nine forty that he ran on the heels of a great 2019 season, 2020, not as good because of COVID. Uh, you know, to me, if you look back at 2019 and then you factor in the speed, he wasn't 200 pounds, he was about 190, but he's over six feet tall. Great kid, great route runner, really good hands. Only had a couple drops in his career. So to me, Rashad Bateman can play slot or X. He can give you versatility. To me, yes, he's a first-rounder. I had him going to Green Bay. I know Baltimore could be a possibility. Certainly Cleveland, New Orleans. There's a lot of teams in the late first round that could be looking at Rashad Bateman. I would have absolutely no problem with that. Going into the year back in August, he looked like a top 10 to 15 pick. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm, Sure. We'll, We'll go to Anthony and then Mark with the Buffalo News. Hey, Mel, did the addition of Jadevian Clowney to the Browns change what you see them possibly doing in the first round? Of the round? And then I wanted to ask uh, what you liked about Jamin Davis in particular and why he's recently become a more appealing option to take in the first round. I think the the fact that he can cover and get the intercepted like four or five passes, uh, he's a guy has great range. He tested out really well. He's very instinctive. Uh, so Davis, I think, you know, skyrocketed up into the first round. I thought he could go as early as seventeen at one point. I settled him in at twenty six to the Cleveland Browns. So yeah, he's a, he's a really nice player. I mean, he's got he's, he's, he and Jeremiah Wusu Koromo is only about two twenty, but he can fly to the football. He covers like a safety, and he's a great open field tackler. So either one of them and. And to, to, to the point about Clowney, this late to get a pass rusher who didn't have you know the sack numbers obviously, but the disruptive numbers are, are the key. You put him opposite Miles Garrett, you got two former number one picks. You get a pass rusher now, you say okay now now that's checked off the list. You don't have to go that route. You have linebackers in need, speed receiver. I had him taking uh, Dwayne Eskridge in the second round out of Western Michigan, who can fly, really quick, explosive, a uh, fast kid. Uh, defensive tackle they could address in corner because of the depth maybe a little later. So now you just scratch off a key need area with. Clay- and you go right the linebacker or as I say speed receiver we'll go to Mark and then to Matt with Kane Sport okay Mel uh Ojolari do you think he can really fit a 4-3 defense where they want uh their end to set the edge against the run that's the first question. And then second question, Malcolm Kuntz of Buffalo. I see you got him going 41. Do you get a feel that he's maybe a little higher than a lot of media thought uh, originally and why? Well, I think in terms of because of Ojolari first, I think, you know, when he played with his hand on the ground, he was, you know, pretty effective. He had, you know, he really came on late in the year. He can play, uh, you know, obviously up uh, and he can cover. Uh, but, you know, he's a great talent. He's going to keep getting better. He plays with great energy, great enthusiasm for the game. I mean, you look at what he did over the final six games of the year, how he really came on. Uh, he, test, like I say, he tested well. I think Ojolari, you know, some think higher. I've heard and I've seen, and I know Todd's talked about it with when we've done different things about going in that 20 area in the 15 to 20, 25 area. I have him in the late first round right now. Um, I put him in with you know, with the uh, uh, you know, the Buffalo Kansas City type of pick, looking for a pass rusher. Both those teams could go that route. Jason Oway from Penn State also in the mix. So I think Ojolari goes in the first. I, like I said, I have him more in the late first than the mid first. And then the Koontz, uh, do you think uh, um, maybe 
he was under the radar? Uh, what are you hearing on him? I don't know about it. I, I can't answer that. I think when, it, when the more you looked at Malcolm Koontz, the more you had to like him. Uh, he got sacks. He finished. He tested well. Uh, he's a kid who, like I say, you can play in reverse. He can get after the quarterback. I like the way he got through through uh, through traffic and made putt tackles in the open field, and he, and he got after the quarterback. He was disruptive getting after the quarterback. When he has to go sideline to sideline, he can. I think he is a very underrated player. I, I put him in the second round. It wasn't to wake people up to him. I think the NFL is aware of how good he is. Uh, it's not waking the NFL up. I think they realize if it's the Detroit Lions at 41 who need help at linebacker or whoever it may be down to the Rams where they're picking, uh, I think he's a, at worst a third rounder and probably a second rounder. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Matt and then to Ryan with the New York Post. Yeah. Uh, can you weigh in on where you see the Miami Hurricanes in the draft? And then specifically I saw on your most recent mock draft, uh, Greg Rousseau is slipping down a bit and, and the reason for that as well. Well, I think Jalen Phillips is the guy now. He had a great pro day. Uh, he had a heck of a season. Uh, he's the best natural pass rusher in this draft with his length and his explosiveness and his anticipation of the snap. Um, when he gets around that edge, he's got the bend. Uh, he, like I say, he would be a much higher pick if it wasn't for the durability concern, but I have him in the, in the, in the first round, solidly in the first round, and I think he could even go a little earlier than that. Now, if he's there in the late first, there's plenty of teams. The Baltimore Ravens would be one that I think would look heavily at him. Gregory Rousseau had a really good year in 2019 but he did get some coverage sacks when quarterbacks held the ball too long. I liked when they kicked him inside. I thought he was disruptive at defensive tackle. He did not have a great pro day. Remember, he did get a year of inactivity, so he didn't have the great pro day. Didn't compare to, to Jalen Phillips. So I have him right now in the early to mid-second round. We'll go to Ryan and then Cliff Brown with BaltimoreRavens.com. Hey, Mel, two player evaluations for you. Uh, Travis Etienne, how would, if he had entered the draft last year, how would he have, did he help his stock by coming back, hurt his stock? How do you see Travis Etienne compared to last year? And then Pat Fryer moved off shoulder, shoulder surgery. Is he still the number two tight end and any chance for Giants or Jets? Well, he's an, I think he's the third tight end behind Hunter Long from Boston College. Hunter Long ran 4.63, 6'5", 255, and had a really good year uh, for Jeff Halfley at Boston College. So I think he's way up there, probably mid-second. I think I'm going to Jacksonville in the projection uh, you know, a kid that would really help uh, Trevor Lawrence. Now, uh, Travis Etienne last year, think about it, Jonathan Taylor didn't even go in the first. You know, J.K. Dobbins didn't go in the first. You know, the, the DeAndre Swift, the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went last pick in the first. And those backs are pretty good backs, and they didn't go as high as a lot of people thought they would. So for Travis Etienne, if he goes, Todd has him going, I think, to the Jets at 23. I have him going to the Jets in the early second round. So if he does go at that point, then you're looking at a guy who certainly, you know, moving forward, has a great opportunity. You know, if you were Zach Wilson to build along with him, uh, I wouldn't take him in the first. I think it's too high at 23. But in the second round, with his ability to catch the ball down the field, uh, people compare him to Alvin Kamara. That's a stretch for me. But he's explosive and he has versatility. I think he's a second rounder. So I think yeah, in the, at the end of the day, he probably goes higher this year, even though, remember, they lost four starters on that offensive line. They weren't as dominant up front, uh, nearly, including, even, what is even close to what they were the previous year. So that impacted Trevor, and it certainly impacted ETN. Even with that said, I think this year he goes a little higher because of the way the draft is. I mean, it, you, like I say, you have some teams like Pittsburgh, Buffalo, you know, Tampa could, even though they added Bernard, but certainly Pittsburgh and Buffalo, the Jets, you have a, several teams that could go Miami, picking at 36 in the early second round. Uh, you know, Javante Williams is the other outstanding back out of North Carolina. I think Michael Carter in North Carolina is very underrated. So to answer the question, I think ETN goes higher this year than he would have last year. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Cliff and then Dave Burkett with the Detroit Free Press. Yeah, Mel, the Ravens have been linked to a lot of uh, edge rushers there at 27. Of the ones who might be available to them, which one do you think fits best? And then number two, if the Ravens, what do you think the chances are the Ravens could trade out of the first round? And if they do that, what would be the reasons that would compel them to do that? Well, it'd be to get the extra picks, and obviously, if they felt like there were two or three players that they're very comfortable with, that waiting until the night two, Friday night, to take, they could drop into the third, like the thirty-five to thirty-eight range uh, in that area. And they—that's something that's very possible. Teams at the end of day one usually make a move up in there, whether it can be for a quarterback like Davis Mills. So I would say pass rusher Jalen Phillips was there. Uh, you know, it'd make a lot of sense. Uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, Jason Owe is an intriguing guy, probably the most fascinating defensive player in this draft to be a pass rusher. To 
Smith didn't have a sack is it makes him very intriguing and fascinating, but he's got awesome talent and he plays hard. Uh, so to me, I think Jason Oway would be an intriguing guy along with Jalen Phillips and Aziz Ojolari from Georgia if he were there. We'll go to Dave Burkett and then Brian Costello with the New York Post. Uh, Mel, I just wanted to ask, philosophically, do you ever see wide receivers going the way of running backs? And maybe it's trended this way a little bit now where, you know, there's so much depth, so much talent that you don't need to take one early. And, and just why, why still in this draft are there, you know, three guys that will go very early? Uh, at that position, given the depth, yeah, it's good. They're special. They're they're guys that are just special. They're, they're, to me, they're the highest rated players in this draft, and that goes to Kyle Pitts as well. And then mentioned Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, and Jalen Waddle. They're all special players. They they're not just forced up there. Remember when the year when John Ross and Corey Davis were, were all forced up there? That's not that kind of thing here. These these guys are are up there because they they were phenomenal players and they tested out great and they did all the things that you needed to do. Chase, after a year of inactivity, had a great workout. And we know with Devontae, you don't need to see Devontae work out. He had a great year. And then you saw what, what Jalen Waddle, what he was able to do prior to the ankle injury. So they're all just special players. And they proved it time and time again. And, that, and not only is he a great uh, receiver, slot receiver, it's, uh, Waddle's also a great punt returner. Devontae can be a, a slot or an outside threat. Same thing with Chase, who's a guy. But Terrace Marshall Jr., his teammate's a really good player. We talked about Bateman. But those three guys go high because they're just, like I say, in any draft, they would go high, not just this one. Is it similar to running backs in that they can, you know, teams, if, if you don't have that elite guy right at Saquon Barkley from a few years ago, you might as well just wait because you can get somebody that can help you later. Well, we were we were talking not that long ago that the, the college football wasn't producing wide receivers. And now this year we have this incredible group of 40 receivers that have a chance to get drafted. And, you know, you're talking about 14, maybe in the first 14, 15, in the first two, two-plus rounds. So it's just a, a, a year where it just all came together, where this wide receiver group is incredibly deep. And it's deep not only with with outside guys, it's deep with slot guys, and you have some return men. So I, yeah, I, I can, I'd take an hour to go through all the receivers. So again, that's the strong. I mentioned it's the strongest positions are wide receiver, cornerback, and offensive line, and those are the positions that have the most depth. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll, go, we'll go to Brian next, and then Pierce Feltner with Tulane Athletics. No, with uh, Caleb Farley, how much of a concern is the back surgery, and could you see him falling, you know, as far as into the twenties and? Could the Jets would the Jets make sense for him at twenty three if he fell into the twenties? Yes, he would. Uh, yeah, I would say that would be tough because Greg Newsom the second out of Northwestern is a really good cover corner. They have a lot of interceptions. I think only one in his career, but he but broke up a ton of passes, and he was on guys. I mean, he had he was really glued the receivers down the field. He has good instincts to locate the ball, and he'll tackle. So I think a guy like Greg Newsom the second, if he went ahead of Farley, wouldn't shock me. And if they were both there, it would be an interesting decision. But Caleb Farley, I thought, needed to play this year to get a show he could tackle and showed the toughness because he he's a heck of a cover guy. Uh, it's a little, you know, you thought people say handsy. I think there's some penalties that normally would be called in the NFL weren't in college, so he's got to clean that up. But he's got tremendous talent, former quarterback, wide receiver, and now he's, he's developed into a heck of a cover guy. So he's got the length, he's got the athletic ability, but it's, all, it's three injuries. That's why now all of a sudden you talk about the ACL, then the back, then the other back, and another back to clean that up. Uh, makes him the third cornerback, maybe the fourth cornerback. So he could go anywhere, in my opinion, between 16 and and. I'd probably say down to 23 in that area. Thank you. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Pierce and then Dave with NBC Sports Philadelphia. And Pierce, if you can hear us, I think you're unmuted. So go ahead with your question. Okay, we'll go to Dave with NBC Sports Philadelphia, and then Scott with The Athletic is on deck. Hey, Mel. Um, I saw you had the, the Eagles taking Patrick Sertan in your last mock. Kind of curious about uh, where there's more value if you're talking combinations, if, if the Eagles were to, say, go receiver-corner picks for one and two, or if they go corner-receiver, where do you think there'd be more value? 
depends who they want because they're all different. There's some slot corners, there's some outside corners, there's some slot receivers outside. There's all they're all over the place, and it depends. You like Asante Samuel Jr. is a great slot corner out of Florida State. Kelvin Joseph, Kentucky, formerly of LSU, has the length to match up against those receivers on the outside. Uh, they could both be in that second round mix for the Eagles. Wide receiver could line up well, but do you want a slot guy? Uh, are you looking at a guy at that point like an Amari Rogers from Clemson? Are you looking at a at a guy that has some length and Deami Brown from North Carolina? So it really depends on who they're looking for. It, it could fall either way. I could see cornerback receiver. I could see cornerback linebacker. I could see wide receiver linebacker or wide receiver corner. So those, those three positions, like I say, linebacker, wide receiver, corner, uh, would be three areas I would think they would want to hit pretty early. We'll go to Scott and then Eric Branch with the San Francisco Chronicle. Yeah, Mel, uh, I was interested in knowing a little bit more about Davion Mixon. He debuted, I think, on your big board at 10 in December, and he was clearly the best defensive lineman in the Big Ten last year. And he subsequently has fallen on a lot of boards. Is that anything due to the evaluation of of the way he played on the field, or is there something that uh, maybe happened off the field to impact that? Well, it's one year, and I think it's the fact that, you know, people were looking at him, and I, I thought when I saw 54 out there making plays, I said, boy, it's not that many defensive tackles that are out there this year. A couple of them had opted out, and there's Christian Barmore, there's Milton Williams at Louisiana Tech, and Davion Nixon at Iowa look really good. That interception was a highlight reel right there, uh, the way he ran with the football after he intercepted it. But I think when people broke it down, number one, defensive tackles are being pushed down uh, automatically unless you're a, you know, a dominant pass rusher, and that's, you know, there's a very few Aaron Donalds out there. Uh, the three technique is a little bit more valuable now because everything's about getting after the quarterback. I think Davion's going to be a good pick. I don't know how far he's going to drop. I think he's going to end up probably in the third round, uh, maybe the second, but probably more, uh, you know, a late day two type of pick. Uh, and that's going to give him a great opportunity. You're not drafting a guy in the third round thinking he's going to be just a marginal player. They're drafting a guy in the third round thinking he can be built on that one year. And I think that's the thing. It was that one year. So, you know, I probably at that point overrated him a bit. And now he's come back to where after one season, had he played one more year at Iowa, you probably would have been looking at a solid two or maybe a late one. We'll go to Eric and then Alex Fleming with the Florida Sun. Hey, Mel, as you know, history suggests of these five top quarterbacks, maybe two will be really, really good in the NFL. So the NFL always misses. I assume that you have made your quarterback misses along the way. Mm-hmm. As you look back Are there common threads uh, that you say, you know, I've got to look out for this. I made this mistake before. Um, uh, Why, you know, draft analysts such as yourself in the NFL, you know, pretty consistently misses on the quarterback, which obviously is a, a tough position to evaluate. Yeah, it is. It really is. And then a lot of this is a lack of uh, continuity within the coaching staffs. You know, look at Sam Darnold. Look at the, not, not helping the guy out. Look what they did with Josh Allen. They, he was getting criticized unfairly. I love Josh Allen. Uh, and then all of a sudden he blossomed because they kept working to get him help. And he had made you know steady progress all the way along. And nobody noticed. Then you see Sam Darnold getting no help and then being having injuries, shoulder, and then, of course, the mono. And all of a sudden now he's a Carolina Panther. Look at what happened with Wentz in golf. I mean, uh, quarterbacks are getting kicked to the curb very early now. It's not like it used to be. So I really can't wrap my arms around the way they're dealing with quarterbacks now, but that's life in, in 2021 now. Uh, but I think when you look at the quarterbacks this year, you're right. You said two are going to be good. I think two are going to be bad. So out of, this, out of these five, there's going to be probably two disappointments. One's going to be a complete bust, and one will be, like I say, a disappointment. That's what history tells us. Now, you know, who are going to be? I'm, I don't have a crystal ball for that. I would say when you have 17 starts and you're coming from the one A level, there's some risk there with Trey Lance. Mac Jones only has 17 starts and doesn't have a tremendous amount of, of, of overall natural ability to make things happen you know, with his legs. And, and if a play breaks down, he's not going to do it. But the greatest of all time didn't have to do that in Tom Brady. So, again, uh, you look at you know, Justin Fields is going to be the fifth quarterback taken. Obviously, the NFL feels he has the more of the risk or he wouldn't be the fifth quarterback taken. So, there, after Trevor Lawrence, the people are trying to poke holes at Trevor now. So, again, that's just like Zach Wilson had one great year at BYU. So, they're all going to be, I think Trevor is going to be great. I think he's one that has one of the highest grades I've ever given a quarterback, fourth highest grade. But after Trevor, good luck trying to figure out who the two quarterbacks are going to be disappointments or busts. All four you know, could be. Which ones are? Like I said, I don't have my crystal ball to be able to tell you that. We'll go to Alex and then Daniel with PennLive.com. Thank you for doing this, Mel. Um, 
we spoke last time, and you're absolutely right. The defensive tackle position needs to be addressed in Tampa. And I love Jalen Phillips, but the kid scares me. I think if you give that kid a bag of money, he might go MIA for a weekend or two. So is Jalen Phillips a good pick for Tampa Bay at 32? And where do you see Brady Breeze and Chuba Hubbard being most successful in this draft? Yeah, I think Chuba, you know, you know, going into this year, looked like he was going to be a little bit of a higher pick. But I, I like the, you know, he's got a little pace to his running style. He's got that burst. Uh, and I think he can be a guy in the third, fourth, fifth round area. Can help you. Brady Breeze opted out, obviously, but came up big in a lot of games for Oregon. He was flying around making impact hits. Uh, I think he's a day three guy. Uh, but uh, in terms of Jalen Phillips, I don't think he's there uh, when Tampa Bay picks. I think he goes somewhere in that, I would guess, 17 to 27 range in that area. Uh, he's just too good a pass rusher to uh, to not go, uh, you know, until that point. Uh, you know, you know, I don't see him going earlier than that. And, and in a perfect world, he probably would have. But with the durability concern and the, the issues, I think you're talking about 17 to 27, not all the way down to 32. I have Christian Barmore there, who would be kind of the heir apparent to Indomitian and Sue and learn from Indomitian and Sue and, uh, and then be you know, the guy that steps into that role. We'll go to Daniel and then Ryan with NBC Sports Washington. Mel, uh, you mentioned Pat Fryermuth a little bit earlier. Uh, he seems to be kind of firmly in, in the middle of the second round um, in a lot of these mock drafts. Um, you know, could you see him getting pushed a little bit further up in the second round? What might happen? You know, what would have to happen for that to happen? Um, and what do you think that teams, when they look at him, what do they really like about him uh, as a player well, right now? Yeah, two things. For tight ends, it's not a big need for a lot of teams. It's a need, but it's not in the top three or four for a lot of teams. And if you go through every team and you look at their major needs, you're not going to find tight end. At the, at, you know, uh, the Jets obviously got nothing out of their tight end position. Arizona could use a tight end. Certainly, we talked about Jacksonville needing a tight end. Uh, Cincinnati would be a pick with it's Kyle Pitts. It's not a huge need. Sample's okay, but you know, Pitts is a, is, a, is a unique entity. So for Pat Fryermuth with Hunter Long emerging from Boston College and Fryermuth with the injury. I mean, the guy can. He presents a nice target in the hook zones. Uh, you know, there's no question. I saw some linebackers be able to handle him. Pete Werner handled him pretty effectively. So that was a bit of a concern. But in terms of being the third tight end drafted, if he is the third tight end drafted, he probably goes in round three. We'll go to Ryan and then Kiana Martin with the 49ers. Hey, Mel. Um, you had Davis Mills going in the second round to the Washington football team, I think, in your latest mock. Um, I was wondering you know, specifically what you like about his skill set, given he doesn't have a ton of experience, and then also why you feel maybe he's a better option for the Washington football team than potentially trading up for one of the, the top prospects, given that's something others have considered. Yeah, it's going to be. You know, it's going to cost a lot to go up. That's number one. And how far up do you have to go? And who do you target? Do you target Trey Lance? Do you target Justin Fields? Because it's the top three are going to be quarterbacks. They're locked in. So there's two left. And then you also have Atlanta could take a quarterback. Denver could take a quarterback. New England could trade up for a quarterback. Certainly Washington could. So if they don't. If they're not effective in moving up, then Davis Mills becomes a possibility if he's there in the second. I mean, he had some huge games this year. I mean, you go to that Cal game, uh, the Washington game, Oregon State game. I mean, uh, you know, and he was, you know, just on target. I mean, he had a lot of games where there were very few balls hit the ground. Uh, he was, uh, you know, at 67% in four games or higher. You know, he had the one game against Colorado where he was around 55, 56%. He did have the three picks against UCLA, but he bounced back from that in that game. So, again, you know, he started 11 games in his career. That's a, a concern, but you're not talking about a first-round pick. You're talking about a guy highly rated out of high school. David Shaw really liked what he saw of him. Obviously, there's a durability concern with him with the knee, but uh, the bottom line is you're talking about a second-round pick who had a really good pro day and a nice year, and he's got all the tools. This is a kid highly rated, five-star recruit, you know, number one pocket passer, some people thought, uh, you know, that, uh, that had a lot of talent coming into Stanford. He's going to probably leave as a second-round draft choice. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We'll go to Kiana next, and then Beth with KVLY. Hey, Mel. In your latest mock, you said it's hard to ignore the Jones to San Francisco buzz, but in your eyes, what's so special about Mac Jones that makes it worth investing three first-rounders in a league where nearly all the elite quarterbacks have those elite physical traits? 
That's a good question. Uh, 13 in the AFC alone, there's 13 really good young quarterbacks, some of which are superstars already and Hall of Famers potentially. And, and there's only three teams in AFC, the Pittsburgh, New England, and, and Denver, that iconic franchise that have to address quarterback and have an issue at quarterback. So uh, you know, as far as the, the, the Mac Jones situation with the 49ers, or if he dropped a little bit, maybe New England would have a strong interest if he did drop past the 49ers. But what makes him attractive is the incredible intelligence. I mean, you know, some guys are smart. Some guys are just off the charts, intelligent. He, the way he, he gets the plays, communicates the plays, the way he picks up offenses and concepts and all the things he does so quickly. Um, at the Senior Bowl was amazing what he did down there. So, and, and how accurate he is throwing the football. So if you can say super, super intelligent, super, super accurate, super competitive, then that's all the things that allowed Tom Brady to be successful. And that's not saying he's going to be Tom Brady to be successful. He's the greatest of all time. But who thought he was going to be anywhere close to that when he was a late sixth-round pick coming out of Michigan? So you know, now you're looking at the third pick, not looking at a late sixth-round pick. So I think Tom Brady really helped Mac Jones. Uh, and he's helped a lot of other quarterbacks along the way. Uh, you don't have to have dual-threat quarterbacks to be effective. Drew Brees was still playing really well in his late 30s, even at 40-41. And look what Tom Brady did let his team to a Super Bowl win at 40, let me 44. So you don't have to be a dual threat guy to be attractive. And Mac Jones, because of, like I say, the incredible intelligence and the incredible accuracy and the way he maneuvers in the pocket, even though he's not the gifted athlete that some of these other guys are, he works the pocket extremely well. He gets the ball out quick. That's why some of these offensive linemen didn't have sacks allowed because he got the ball out of his hands and he recognizes coverages so well. So there's a lot to like about Mac Jones, even though he's not the, like I say, the, the gifted dual threat quarterback of some of the other guys. We are about halfway through, so 30 minutes left, still plenty of time. As a reminder, if you have a question for Mel, I ask that you use the raise hand feature. And if for some reason you can't find it or that's an issue, just send us a note in the chat. We'll go to Beth next and then Zach Rosenblatt with NewJersey.com. Hey Mel, we're up in Fargo, North Dakota, covering NDSU. Got two guys for the Bison on your uh, mock draft. Trey Lance, you dropped the word franchise in here, but obviously some concerns. Do you think his best chance for that, he has to go somewhere where he'll sit a little bit, learn a little bit because of his age and experience? And then you've got Dylan Radins going to the Steelers. Um, you said he stood out when you looked at the film on Trey Lance. Any specifics that you really liked and how much did the senior bowl really help a guy like that, especially given no combine? Yeah, that's a good question. The Senior Bowl really did help him. I mean, just the way he sets up, I mean, his balance and pass protection is excellent. He can adjust the secondary moves really well. Uh, you know, he's a baby really, I think, for a 1AA player, gives you hope that he can ad uh, adjust quickly to the NFL. It's not going to take him much time. Uh, great kid as well. So I think Dylan Radens in the second round, whether it's, you know, and there's going to be a host of teams in the second round are going to be looking for it because there's a lot of tackles, but how many left tackles, natural left tackles are there? There's not a lot. Some of these left tackles project the right tackle or guard. So when you look at teams, when you get in the second round and you're talking about you know, a team like Carolina, uh, if they would not get the left tackle early, uh, there's plenty of the Detroit Lions for right tackle, but Pittsburgh needs that left tackle. Indianapolis needs a left tackle. Chicago. So there's a lot of teams like that that, that could uh, address the offensive line. The Raiders are another team. They have the left tackle and Colton Miller. They need help at that guard and right tackle. So I think you look at a lot of teams that could go for a Dylan Raidens. For Trey Lance, Atlanta would be perfect. Uh, the Arthur Smith offense will be perfect. Lewis Riddick has been talking about that a lot over the last couple weeks, how ideally suited he would be for that offense, that style. He would have to sit for a year or two, and Matt Ryan's perfect because Matt Ryan's got a minimum of two really good years left. So it could be like a Jordan Love going to Green Bay behind Aaron Rodgers. Sit. Aaron Rodgers sat behind Brett Favre. Patrick Mahomes sat for a year behind Alex Smith. So for me, it's a perfect scenario for a 20-year-old quarterback who only started seven games, only started one game this past year and comes out of the one double-A level and needs to improve his accuracy a little bit. And, uh, you know, there were some games where he was off target with some throws. He only threw the one career interception, but accuracy he was below 57% in six games in his career at the one double-A level. So he'll have the time to work through some things. If he goes to Atlanta, he'll also, but once he's ready, will be in a perfect offense for him. We'll go to Zach and then Childs Walker with the Baltimore Sun. Hey, Mel, uh, last year the Giants used the fourth pick on Andrew Thomas. I'm, I'm wondering, how, how would you say Andrew would stack up against the top guys in this class if he was coming out like Sewell and Slater? And and then for the Giants in general, if it does get to number 11 and, and a guy like Slater is on the board, do you think they need to draft a guy like that considering the, the big need they have on the offensive line? 
Yeah, they would have to think about it. Slater's a great player. I don't care who you have and who you drafted. It's how good your line's going to be. And it's still a major question mark is how good is this Giants line going to be? And Slater's a heck of a player. He can play left tackle, right tackle, or guard. So he can wear a lot of hats on that offensive line. So won't be there. If, if Slater's there, and he may not be there, uh, he would be really interesting. And, and as far as where Thomas would rank this year, he would probably have been third. Uh, won that uh, board behind Sewell and Slater. Last year, he was behind the guys that they took. They, they took him ahead of guys he was behind. You know, you talk about Mackay Becton and, and Tristan Wirfs and and, uh, and uh, Chedrick Wills were all rated ahead of Andrew Thomas. So Dave Gettleman took a gamble on a player that was that left tackle. Remember, Wills would have had a move to left tackle, and he did really effectively in Cleveland. Becton was a left tackle, and Wirfs was a right tackle. So he went with a guy that had the experience at left tackle, even though he wasn't as good a player as those other guys in, at the collegiate level. So it's a key year for Andrew Thomas. He's been a disappointment up to this point. He's got to be a really good left tackle this year. And I would not count out the Giants drafting an offensive lineman because, uh, like I said, you've got to fix that, that spot where Daniel Jones is going to have no chance. Even though you've got some receivers now with Galladay coming in, uh, you could add Jalen Waddell. You could add a lineman. You could add a linebacker like Micah Parsons. I mean, they have some needs they have to address in this draft. It's going to be interesting to see how they attack it. Pass rusher as well, like a quitty pay would be in a possibility. But I really want to see what they do to get this offensive line fixed and, and get this offensive line to play at a high level because to me that holds the whole key to what kind of year the Giants have both from Daniel Jones perspective from Saquon Barkley to the receivers to the whole team uh, they got to get that offensive line up to a high level we'll go to Childs Walker and then Pete with Letterman Rowe yeah hey Mel um, obviously I, you know I think Christian Barmore is probably the defensive lineman who seems to have created the most buzz. Do you think he would at least make the Ravens think if if he were available? You know, when when they pick at the end of the first round, and then when you look at some of the other the other defensive linemen, who who kind of excites you as you know possible day two picks? I think when you look at the Ravens, I, I think Matt Abike they really like, and they think he can be a, an outstanding player. So I just think the other needs would, would – and I don't necessarily think Barmore is a guarantee to be there for the Buccaneers. I had a thought about moving up a little higher. There's talk he could even go around that 20 to 23 area. Uh, the bar, you know, he, could, he finishes. He gets sacks, and that's what you want in a defensive lineman now. Uh, with his size and his length, uh, he's not a guy – he's not a stay-at-home type. This guy gets after the quarterback. I'm excited about Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. He can be a three-technique. He can play outside. He can play a variety of roles up front. He gets after the quarterback, and he's disruptive. I think he's an interesting guy. I think Bobby Brown the third from Texas A&M, interior defensive tackle, is really interesting. But it's not a lot there. Anzarike uh, uh, from Washington uh, you know, had the opt-out, senior bowl injury, pro day as well. Uh, you know, so he's more of a guy that drops into the second or third round just because he didn't have the year and things didn't go great after the season. So, but he's got the ability to get into that backfield. Now, he didn't have a ton of sacks, but he got disruptive plays. He was able to, to wreak some havoc, so he would be a guy. We talked about Davion Nixon and Marlon Tui below two from USC, Jay Tufeli, guys like that, Ali McNeil, NC State, Tommy Togiai, Ohio State. Osa Odigizua, UCLA, is intriguing because he was a guy that made plays in college, but is he a tweener in the NFL? We'll have to wait and see how he fits into a defensive structure. Thanks. Sure. We'll go to Pete and then Andrew Mentock. Hey, Mel, uh, your most recent mock draft only had um, one Ohio State product going in the top two rounds uh, being Justin Fields. Uh, you have some other Buckeyes high on your big board, such as Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Trey Sermon. Any reason why you don't see any of them going in the top two rounds? And then who will be the next guy to go from Ohio State after Justin I'd say Pete Werner's got a, a really good shot. Uh, you know, he showed he, what he did in coverage with Friermuth, what he's done in terms of, of making plays down the field in coverage, and he tested really well. I think he tested above and beyond what people uh, thought he would. I think Baron Browning uh, as well would be right in there with Werner. So there's two linebackers there that, that certainly have a great opportunity. And then Sean Wade. It's going to be interesting to see where Sean Wade goes. Does he drop into the third or fourth round at one point in time? He looked, we talked about Davion Nixon looking like a first or a second, and he's dropped into the third or fourth. And Sean Wade looked like a first at worst the second could he drop in to the third or fourth round so I'm going to be really, be really and Trey Sermon of course the running back as a day three grade could be a, a nice pickup at that point as well so there's going to be a lot of Ohio State Buckeyes drafted uh, but certainly I think the linebackers as I say Werner and Browning would be the most intriguing and Togiai as well on, on day three the defensive tackle but I think Werner and Browning I think will come off the board next is there, is there any re are you surprised to see that only one Buckeye going in the top two rounds though just because they've been so heavy in the first round the last few years? 
Well, Olave went back. Chris Olave would have gone pretty high, and Chris Olave went back for another year, and uh, and certainly Thayer Munford went back for another year as well, and and, uh, and Garrett, defensive tackle, went back for another year. So uh, you had that also happen. Like I say, Sean Wade wasn't able to maintain that elite grade. Uh, that affected it a little bit. Now Werner's moved up, and Browning's moved up, but Wade moved down, and like I say, Olave decided to go back. Awesome. Thanks. Sure. We'll go to Andrew and then Ian with the Spectrum NDSU. Hi, Mel. I wanted to ask you about Jamie Newman and, and kind of um, the perception of his potential um, at this point and um, kind of, you know, it, if it, the team that does take a chance on him, are they still looking at him maybe as a potential starter or is it, is it just kind of a pretty big unknown? No, I think you scratch Amy Newman thinking he can maybe catch lightning in a bottle here. I mean, there are some quarterbacks you view as more backup types. I would say like an Ian Book from Notre Dame, a Sam Ellinger from Texas, you know, quarterbacks like that. Jamie Newman has starting – you're either going to get a starter or you, you might say, okay, can he be a career backup? Sure, he could, but you're rolling a dice that there's no limitation. Some of these other quarterbacks, Shane Bouchel, SMU, you're thinking, okay, maybe Bouchel could develop into something, but with Book and Ellinger, you're thinking backup types. So I think Newman has the ability. I mean, had he played at Georgia and played well, he could have been a second-round pick. Uh, you know, had he stayed at Wake and played, he could have been a higher pick. So, but he opted out after going to Georgia. Um, and that was, obviously was rusty at the senior bowl practices. So, but he's got the arm. He's got to be more accurate. He can move. He can extend plays. Uh, he had a really good year at Wake Forest. Uh, he's a dual-threat guy. I love what I saw of him in 2019. I would have loved to have seen him build on that in 2020. That didn't happen. So you're looking at a fourth to seventh rounder who had he played could have been a, a second round pick that to me makes sense to, to take him and draft him somewhere on day three with the idea that like I say you could find a guy that say people say well boy what happened how did he, how did he slide through the crack how did he drop until where he did well he didn't play and he, he needed to work on some things he wasn't able to but in 2019 at Wake Forest he looked awfully good we'll go to Ian and then Mike K with NewJersey.com uh, hey, Mel. Uh, so Trey Lance has a, his second pro day set up for next week. And I'm just wondering, uh, what can he do at this pro day to maybe help establish himself in the eyes of some NFL teams? Or do you think uh, for the most part, most teams already have their mind made up on their quarterback rankings? I'm hoping they do. I would think they should. I mean, you, you, if you're finding your quarterback, is a second pro day going to determine anything? Now, if you've got two guys that are exactly the same, they're equal, and you just want to see a little bit more to maybe uh, tip the scales to that quarterback over another. If it's that tight in terms of your grade and your evaluation, then I guess that could matter. But normally, you're pretty much locked in. I, 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 nothing I'm going to see is going to change my view. Uh, nothing you know, I saw from any of these pro days changed my opinion. So and I've talked to people who said the same thing. And I talked to people that went to pro days when guys were impressive and said they were there. They were there just to make sure, but they already knew what they were doing, and it wasn't going to be that guy. So, you know, to me, uh, you, know, you know, I don't know how many pro days changed minds over the years, maybe on a third-round pick. People have brought up that. But on a top-ten pick in the first round, uh, you know, now the Chargers were okay getting Phillip Rivers after Eli Manning demanded the trade. They drafted Eli Manning, and they ended up with Phillip Rivers. They felt comfortable. Miami had said, oh, excuse me, the Chargers had said, last year they were okay Tom Telesco said I'm okay with any one of the three quarterbacks either Burrow uh, two or Herbert he got Herbert he, he struck gold getting the third guy the guy that felt him so to me you know yeah, that's about where we are right now with these quarterbacks uh, you know they're, they're five of them are going to go and uh, like I say it'll be good you just hope that you can find the right one because probably one or two of these guys and definitely one of these two uh, quarterbacks are going to be like I say major disappointments We'll go to Mike and then Stefan with the Journal de Quebec. Hey, Mel, with the way the cornerback and wide receiver classes are kind of stacked, if you were the Eagles, would you at 37, would you look to trade back into the first round, given how much draft capital you have at this moment? And if so, who would you target at those two positions? Well, I think they're going to be pretty good. They're at 37. That's an early second. I, they have the first round pick at 12. Uh, they could maybe get to, you know, have an opportunity there to move down if they wanted. If they want to stay there, they could possibly see Devontae Smith there. Uh, Jalen Waddle, one of those two receivers, possibly could be there. 
two of the three corners will be there. Either Sertan or Horn, one of those two will probably be there, maybe both. So they have a decision to make there on, on who the highest-rated player is at a position of need. Is it a receiver, the highest-rated guy? If it's a corner, the highest-rated guy. They could also look at a linebacker in a second, like Nick Bolton from Missouri. But guys like uh, Deami Brown from North Carolina could be there at 37, wide receiver, really good player. Cornerback like Kelvin Joseph from Kentucky will be there. Tyson Campbell from Georgia could be there and probably will be there. Eric Stokes from Georgia will be there. So that, that, it just depends on their board. I, I think it, I said yeah, the two strongest positions in this draft are cornerback and wide receiver, and that's two of their top needs, along with linebacker. So it, it's perfect for the Eagles, the way it worked out this year. We'll go to Stefan and then Scott Petrak with the Chronicle Telegram. Hi, Mel. Um, you have Benjamin Sanders going to uh, the Bills at 61 in your uh, latest mock draft. Have you yep. heard any, any chatter that makes you believe he could go that early? And what makes you so high on him? Well, the length, the length and the, the ability that he showed at the senior bowl practices, what he did at Minnesota, uh, he's got that natural coverability for a guy that has that length that is very imp important in this league with these receivers coming in, a lot of which are pretty big guys. So, you know, you've got to have guys that can match up against those types of, of physically and athletically gifted receivers. Uh, so I think uh, he fits to me, uh, you know, teams in that late second, early to mid third, which may be a little higher than people thought, but I think it's valid based on the people I've spoken to in the league. Thank you. We'll go to Scott and then Steve with WZZN. You're still muted. There you go. We can't hear you quite yet. Can you hear us? Okay, Scott, we'll come back to you. Let's go to Steve with WZZN and then Travis Brown with the Eagle. You're on deck. Mel, appreciate you doing this. Uh, you, you've mentioned Sam Darnold a couple of times. I, I can't help but wonder where he would stack up in this quarterback class in this draft. I would put him number two. Uh, yeah, I would put him at two. Uh, yeah, and I, I think you know, you look at him in 23 years of age and and learning on the job with now talent around him, battling through injury and mono. Uh, yeah, I, you go through the trials and tribulations to get to that next level, and he wasn't allowed to do that with the Jets. They they cut the cord. They they wanted to reset the clock, and they're going with Zach Wilson. Great, but that certainly benefits Carolina. Uh, so I, I have high hopes for Sam. I don't. I like Josh better coming out, but I, I now I have to defend Sam. Yeah, I was kind of making a statement as to why a case for Josh being better than Sam coming out when everybody likes Sam, but now you got to defend Sam. And uh, I think there's a lot to defend there and a lot to like about Sam Darnold, only 23 years of age, which is the same age of, as Kyle Trask. And there's a couple of quarterbacks in this draft, probably a little older. I know there's one a little older than him. It's in this draft. So uh, I think that's a great move for Carolina. Uh, the uh, follow-up I have for you, Mel, is uh, the uh, two Alabama wide receivers, Waddle and Smitty. Uh, How similar or different do you stack them up evaluation-wise in this draft? Yeah, they are intriguing because they have that versatility where Devontae, most of 50% of his catches were at the slot, 50% were outside. He had punt return ability. Waddle is a great punt returner and an impactful slot guy who is a coast-to-coast -coast player. Uh, you know, you look at how compact he is, how explosive he is, how competitive he is, and then you got the splendid splinter, too, and Devontae Smith. They're both great, and they both have pushed each other. They're both remarkable talents and remarkable workers. And to see you know, Waddle out there battling through a a fractured ankle coming back from that and still have three catches in that championship game shows you what he means to that football team, what he meant to that Alabama team. So I love them both. I think one of those two could drop a little bit because other players get pushed up and a receiver may drop. So it's possible at 12, you could see one of those two at 11 for the Giants. But I think Waddle and Smith, it wouldn't shock me if Waddle went before Smith uh, because they're both great players and Waddle is also a phenomenal punt returner. So, and that's, that's important in this league. And uh, he got hurt on a kick return out of punt return. He got a hurt on the opening kickoff against Tennessee October 24th. As a punt returner, he was dynamic. And so with Devontae. Devontae returned to punts this year and had one for a touchdown. But I uh, love them both, and I think they're two of the best players, uh, two of the five best players in this draft. We'll go to Travis Brown, and then we're going to go back to Scott with the Chronicle Telegram. Hi, yeah. Uh, curious on what you think the range is for uh, Kellen Mond uh, and your evaluation on him. And then is there any other Texas A&M players that catch your eye and how many do you think uh, could, could be drafted? 
But I think Bobby Brown III, defensive tackle like him, I've talked about him already. I think he's a guy in interior presence, can plug it up uh, and, and free those linebackers up, and he has enough explosiveness to get into the backfield. Um, I think when you look at, my, to me, Kellen Mond, I've always thought third or fourth round. I know Todd thinks second round. Uh, he's a little higher on Kellen Mond than I am. Uh, if you saw the Florida game, you thought second round. If you saw the LSU game, you thought seventh round uh, or free agent. So it just depended upon when he was on uh, in terms of accuracy uh, when he was playing at his best. And for Jimbo, Jimbo works those quarterbacks hard. He didn't have great receivers to throw to. It was more tight end centric and running game. Uh, but, you know, like I say, the inconsistencies bothered me a little bit. Um, I thought, like I say, he, he was a third or fourth round guy, but it looks like he could go two to three. I, I'd shade more of the third round. I would think more third round, something second. Uh, I'd think he ends up being a third round draft choice. Thank you. We'll go back to Scott and then to Brian Batco with the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And Scott, I'm not hearing you, so I'm going to ask for you, Mel. Scott is wondering what puts Quiddy Pay at the top of your defensive end list and what is his potential in the pros? Hard worker, fierce competitor, and he, I think, will be a more of a sack guy in the NFL, turned loose. Uh, he's got versatility. He's a freakish talent. Tremendous uh, test numbers, athletic physical numbers, and the attitude, the approach is fierce. And he hustles and he plays hard. So I think there's the the indication there is once we get him in the NFL, we coach him up, he can be a really good, maybe a 10 sack a year guy. Some think he's only going to be a five to six, seven sack. He could be a double digit sack guy in the right defensive structure. All right, we'll go to Brian and then Joshua Allen with Bucks Report. Hi, Mel. A little bit of a different kind of question for you, but I uh, was curious how, uh, how much you're looking forward to having the draft in Cleveland this year. Do you like this trend of, uh, of the draft going to, to different cities, and would you like to see that continue and, uh, and hit different parts of the, the NFL uh, landscape? Love it. I've loved it since it ended up going to Chicago and, and uh, moved on to Dallas and to Philadelphia and to Nashville and everywhere it's been. And it was supposed to be in Las Vegas. We'll be there evidently next year. And then Kansas City, Green Bay, wherever it ends up after that, it's going to be great. So, uh, you know, I think it's phenomenal for Cleveland. It's it's great, the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, all the things the NFL has planned out there. Uh, I think it's going to be great to be back, uh, you know, on campus, basically, at an NFL site. And uh, it was great to be on the road with all those other places. And uh, it's, it's, I think it's uh, great that the NFL did that. All three days are going to be outside, which is going to hopefully the weather cooperates. But I think we're all looking forward to a great draft in Cleveland. We'll go to Joshua Allen and then Michael with AL.com. Hey, Mel, you talked about the rises and fallers of, in, in this draft. And, you know, that happens every year. But it seems like there's a lot more this year. Do you attribute that to the lack of a combine, uh, COVID opt-outs, um, and shortened schedules? And then also, uh, do you still foresee the, the Buccaneers looking at running back early, even though they brought in Gio and Leonard Fournette, all those guys, including Rojo on one-year deals? And what have you heard about their interest in Kyle Trask? Well, I think it's the volatility is because of what you said. This was a, anything but a normal year. So when you have that, how are you evaluating players? It's very difficult how you're going to rank players and rate them against one another. Uh, so it, it's a challenging year to put a board together. It's a challenging year to try to figure out mock drafts and where players are going to go. It's always challenging, but this year more so than any other year. Uh, they have all luxury picks now because they brought everybody back. We thought needs were going to be created in free agency. Needs were addressed in free agency by bringing back their existing talent. And now they can take a Christian Barmore if they want. I don't know about a running back, but maybe at some point, if they like Kyle Trask or like Kellen Mond or like Davis Mills, they maybe could try to get the heir apparent to Tom Brady in the second round, at the end of the second, maybe at the end of the first. A ton of depth at receiver. Uh, they could get a receiver at any point. They could give a little bit of a, of a factor there in the return game as well, as well as a fourth, fifth option. So, yeah, they could go any one of the four or five directions, none of which are pressing needs right now. They're the only team in the league, and they're the Super Bowl champion, but they brought back everybody that could have left, which, like I say, may, meant for zero knees right now, except maybe air appearance at certain positions. Any late-round special teams guys you, that you've looked at, like in the mold of a Matt Slater or return guys? 
Well, I think a lot of these receivers and corners are that that's the deep, two of the deepest positions in this draft that there are going to be special teams originally and initially, and maybe all well be throughout their career be fifth op receivers and, re, and and special teams guy or or a uh, you know third fourth corner and a and a, and a uh, return guy or a just a, a gunner on special teams. So with the depth at, at wide receiver and corner, I, I can go through a laundry list of names of guys that are going to definitely help you on special teams. That's the way it sets up any time you have, uh, like I say, that many receivers and that many cornerbacks are going to play in this league. All right, we'll go to Michael and then Eric Wilson. Uh, yeah, Mel, about uh, Najee Harris, just your thoughts on his strengths, weaknesses, and I know you have him 24 to, uh, to Pittsburgh. What are your thoughts on just what his potential is? Well, he got better every year. Uh, he's got that spin move. He kept the chains moving. He finished runs. Uh, he caught the ball, wheel routes, not just the dump ball, so he can get catch all the blocks, helps out the quarterback in, in protection. Uh, last line of defense, he holds up well there. He doesn't fumble, doesn't turn the ball over. Um, he's just a complete running back. Great attitude, always gives you know, credit to the offensive line, uh, loves to play the game, the great versatility, great patience as a runner, um, you know, breaks tackles, keeps his balance. Um, I think he's a, a Pittsburgh Steeler type running back. He's a Buffalo Bill type. I think uh, he could go in the late first round. Thank you. We'll go to Eric Wilson and then Jennifer Lee Chan. Hey, Mel, quick question. Um, so let me put you in a hypothetical situation here if I can for a second. So you're in the Philly draft room. And both Micah Parsons and Smith, wide receiver from Alabama, are both gone. What do you tell Howie to do at 12? Well, you'd probably think corner. Uh, which corner is there? Sertan, J.C. Horn? I think you'd have to look corner if that's the case. If Waddle and Smith are gone, you're not going to take a receiver that high. Um, if Parsons is there, it'd be in the discussion, obviously. Um, and the cornerback would be in the discussion. So then we'd get down to cornerback or Parsons. Appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. We'll go to Mel, Jennifer. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jennifer. After you is Alex Fleming. Mel, last year's group of offensive linemen basically were plug and play guys, and it's been compared. This quarterback class has been compared to that. Do you see them as being as successful going forward? Do you predict that for this group of quarterbacks? You know, I think that's going to be interesting to see. Trevor's going to be the guy in Jacksonville. Justin Fields, who does he go to? Does he have time to sit, watch, and learn? Zach's going to be asked to be the guy. There's no other quarterback there. And there's talk they could after go after a Gardner Minshew or get a veteran. A guy's played to be the uh, you know the school starter like Tyrod Taylor was supposed to be before he got hurt, and, Ty- and Justin Herbert was forced in there and had a remarkable year. Uh, you know, Mac Jones only 17 career starts, but if you go to the 49ers, it'll be Jimmy Garoppolo for a while, then turning over the reins to, to Mac and Trey Lance. If he goes to Atlanta, it'll be Matt Ryan for a couple of years and turning over the reins to Trey. So it depends where they go. Obviously, the 49ers, Mack will have time. Trey Lance would have time in Atlanta. Zach Wilson, maybe a little time with the Jets if they go out and get somebody like I mentioned. Fields, if he goes to New England, Cam's there for a year or two. So, and then Trevor's going to be the guy in Jacksonville. So after Trevor, I don't know. It depends upon where they go, but it looks like, and we say this every year, they're going to sit, they're going to watch, and they're going to learn, and it never works out that way. This year, it may finally happen that way. Like I said, it was supposed to be the case with Justin, and luckily for them, uh, you know, he got in there, and fortunately for them, now they know they have the right quarterback. They found out. They weren't thinking it was going to go that way, but they found out they have a, a incredible young quarterback. Now, had he not played this year, it would have been that unknown, but he was forced in there with the unfortunate injury to Tyrod Taylor, and he got his opportunity, took maximum advantage of it. Now, maybe that happens with these other guys, or maybe the guy they have is struggling mightily, and they got to go with their guy. You know, They just got to go with him after four, five, six games, put him out there. So let him play. Let him learn through mistakes. Let him learn through all the issues. So uh, I would say one definitely starts in Trevor, and then the other four uh, depends on where they go. Thank you. All right, and last question, we'll go to Alex Fleming. Thanks again for doing this, Mel. Um, Not only do I cover Tampa, but I cover Jacksonville. We spoke about this last time. Alex, you're on mute. Can you unmute? And 45 are their next picks. In a perfect world, could they land Trevor Morig at safety 25, Alex Leatherwood at 33, and come back and get Pat Faramuth at 45? 
yeah, that's interesting. Trayvon Merrick, I think, goes in the late first round, so I don't see him. I could see him anywhere between 17 and 25 in that area. So I don't think Trayvon Merrick gets out of that area. Um, Alex Leatherwood, I think more of a right tackle guard. I think he'd struggle at left tackle, but as a right tackle guard, there's, there's some things to like there. Um, so I'm with you on some of that, um, but I just don't see Merrick dropping. I think it would be tough for him to drop past, like I say, where the, where the Jaguars are picking. All right, that will do it for us today. Thank you all for joining us. If you need anything in the next couple of weeks here, please don't hesitate to reach out to my colleagues and me. We'll certainly do our best to help. But thanks, Mel. Thanks, media members. Have a great rest of your day.